welcome to Arcana Imperii, a podcast that covers literature, technology, and current events. I'm Gabrielle Roberts, and I'm joined by my co-host Ariana Roberts. Today, we will be interviewing Dr. Jennifer Sims, an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Alabama, as well as Dr. Chinello Ninjaka, an independent researcher and social scientist located in the United Kingdom. Together, they have published the book Mixed Race in the U.S. and U.K., Comparing the Past, Present, and Future. In this interview, we discuss the research and sociology of being mixed race and how it differs in the two countries. So uh, thank you, first of all, so much for taking the time to come onto our podcast, especially since we have so many different time zones. So um, thank you for really just taking the time and scheduling this as well to just find a time for us to all talk. I was wondering, what are like some of the most surprising differences you found between the U.S. and the U.K.'s outlook on mixed race people? So in our research, we found three main just big kind of differences between uh, between the two. The first one, um, as we've already said, is how race is conceptualized in the two places is different. In the U.S., we our census went for a check all box because we conceptualize race as these discrete monoracial categories and people can fit into multiple of them, but the categories themselves are, are, are really rigid. Versus in the UK, they went with this more of a mixed ethnicity, mixed race box because they see it as more fluid. And so they see mixed as separate from the parent, for lack of a better word, uh, from the parent races. And we see this distinction and understanding play out in all kinds of ways um, from the kind of positive when Meghan Markle was first going to marry Harry in the US, people were tweeting hashtag black princess. But in the UK, they were saying, yay, a mixed race princess. So we see this difference playing out in in the two countries. And we also see it playing out in really negative ways. Um, My interviewees were saying that uh, the racial slurs that people would call them um, were always monoracial racial slurs in the U.S. But in the U.K., there are actually a number of mixed race slurs and kind of nasty things that specifically mixed race people get called. Um, I won't repeat those, but um, they exist in the U.K. And there's fewer of those. Um, here here in the U.S. So that's kind of the, the big difference is how race is, how mixed race is understood in the two countries. Another difference we found was the role of nationality in the U.K. Um, my interviews in particular would specifically talk about their nationality. Oh, I'm mixed, but I'm from Yorkshire. I'm mixed, but I'm Londoner. And so that was a really important uh, part of their identity. And when they would have these kind of experiences that a lot of mixed race people have, or you get asked, what are you, where are you from? Um, a lot of that in the UK was based on regionally where they are. Oh, I'm a Yorkshireman. Really? You don't look like you're from Yorkshire. And so there's this big regional and, and, and nationality. Oh, what country are you from? I'm from England. Well, were you born there? Mm-hmm. Clearly, you know, this woman's only being asked that because, you know, she, she looks brown and not white. Um, but in the U.S., I did not find that as much. I was actually surprised. I would have assumed, given research particularly on Asians being seen as, a, quote, forever foreigners, that some of my interviews would have mentioned this nationality component. But other than a couple of folks from uh, New York and Los Angeles really repping their city, um, in the U.S., it was much more, this is my race. It's what I am. It's how mm-hmm. people see me. And there wasn't this, oh, nobody thinks I'm from California because I'm light brown. As people would say, nobody thinks I'm from Yorkshire because, you know, of my, my brown skin. So that nationality component, both from how others saw them and how they identified, um, was really different in the two countries. 
And I think the last big difference was just how folks get asked this question. So kind of a quintessential mixed race experience is people asking you about your race and asking you about your appearance. And it just happened really differently in the two countries. In the U.S., um, it could be one of the first things that people get asked at the start of a conversation. People might ask it quite rudely and bluntly. So what are you? Like you're mm -hmm. an animal or something, a creature, I think one of my interviewees called it. Um, and they also say, what are you? As in, again, that understanding of race is this intrinsic thing that we, that we are. Versus in the U.K., people would get asked, where are you from? Kind of the saying, uh, you know, immigration and this this idea that the that the UK is this white place, so any non-white is coming within the last couple of generations, which of course is um, historically different than than the United States. But then also in the UK, um, maybe this is a just American British uh, and American versus British stereotype. But they would get asked that question first. There'd be a little bit of a proper small talk first, and then you'd get around to the question, kind of maybe in a nice way. So um, yeah, versus in the US, was like, yeah, where do you from? Get get to the point. So just in that nationality bit, and just different national cultures and norms coming into it as well. So you were kind of mentioning in the beginning, like Meghan Markle and like sort of a people's outlook on it. So how do you think the media has impacted the outlook of mixed race, both like negatively and also like advantageously? So I, th I think the media has um, impacted how people see mixed race. Um, and I think it's given it a really American slant to it and a really American view, just kind of given our dominance of Hollywood and mm -hmm. the dominance of the U.S. media, particularly post-World War post-World War II. And so um, a lot of my UK interviewees, when I was talking with them about you know their identity and how other people see them, they kept referencing the US. And so part of that could be because I was from the US, they knew I was from the United States and they're trying to kind of translate their experience to this woman they assume doesn't know much about their culture. But another part I think is that we see these um, images of mixed race people and we start kind of naming off mixed race celebrities you know, we're going to start with Halle Berry and Tiger Woods and Barack Obama and Meghan Markle. And all of those are American. We're really defaulting to Americans. And then you have to really kind of pull back and start thinking like, okay, we have, you know, uh, Scary Spice and there is um, the, the Formula One race car driver. And you, you start thinking of British mixed race uh, celebrities as well. But the media, when looking at mixed race, really seems to default to covering Americans. And um, I'm not sure if that's just given the American dominance of the media or because it's seen mixed race identity, particularly those who identify as mixed race, like, like Tiger Woods, um, are kind of more, not shocking, but uh, mixed race identity is much more common. The identity common in the UK, a lot of folks in the US, even if they are mixed race, will identify monoracially. So the media could be covering it just kind of for the quote unquote shock factor. But also just the dominance of the U.S. media puts mixed race folks that are American in the spotlight and then their understanding of themselves like Harley Berry saying I'm a black woman and leaving it at that kind of gets disseminated around the world and then starts influencing those cultures too. So how do the experience of different types of mixed race people differ and are maybe like similar to each other? So with regards to differences, the classic categories, race, class, gender, mm -hmm. sexual orientation, all of those are going to come into play. The big one that we found, because it was our research focus, was the differences in the U.S. and the U.K., but um, ethnicity as a difference comes in uh, sometimes uh, sometimes as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, my, my focus isn't so much on identity 
an experience, but it's kind of on the bigger level, but it, it does kind of relate in that, um, in terms of like from, from my research perspective, in terms of trying to figure out where you sit, where you're situated in society based along racial categories, it seems like, it seems like there's a lot more discussion and openness in the U S um, rather than in the UK where it's like, you're kind of this and this. And I think like I tie that to the way that, the, the state and structures are set up to um, label people very specifically here in the UK, rather, and in the US, they've kind of stayed away from um, a mixed race group, and it's a select one or more, which I think actually is is really important to to think through because um, because the lobbying that was happening for the mixed race for a mixed race addition or acknowledgement on the census was actually asking for a category in the United States, and the and the the state refused to do that. Um, for probably a variety of reasons um, that are more that are more political rather than um, I guess practical. Um, so so that does trickle down in terms of how, how people think they're allowed to identify themselves. And so um, so yeah, there, there's just more space potentially to explore or to claim different identities and and you know ex- experiment with that. Whereas in the UK, it seems like. Yeah, you just kind of pin down, and, and you don't really have the fluidity to, in terms of race, you don't have the fluidity to kind of jump um, from one to another, or like combine or you know reimagine. But at the same, then on the other side, you have more flexibility in, when you use terms like nationality or, or maybe I mean just other other types of, of social difference. Then you can have more flexibility and fluidity in a way that's more accepted. Um, but usually, race or what they call ethnicity is pretty more or less fixed. So how does being white passing um, impact your experience as a mixed race person versus like not being white passing? If you are like half white or part white? Sure. So one of the big ways that I found in my research that that impacted was when mixed race people were passed by others as white and assumed to be white, they would have negative experiences in that people would, white people would talk about their their non-white race. So I tell the story of a, of a mixed race man whose brother was white passing um, and who's working as a bartender in college. And, you know, a bunch of black guys come in after a football game, soccer for those in the U.S., after a football game. And um, they were in the bar, other white bartender comes to him. He's like, oh, man, these N-words, there's so many. He just doesn't realize because he was passing this guy. And, you know, that guy was obviously upset. That's his mother. You know, that's his brother. Mm-hmm. That's him that the guy is, is talking about. And so having those kind of negative experiences, and uh, which is different from somebody saying, oh, what race are you? Yes, that's annoying, but it's not, not the same as, you know, those slurs or the really nasty things that white passing folks um, would, would tell stories about. Um, relatedly, folks who weren't white passing, but perhaps looked like a different race than they were, would have those same experiences. So I interviewed a woman from Los Angeles who just straight looks Latina or what, you know, quote unquote, looks Latina um, in the context of Los Angeles. And she would get that too. She would hear Latinos talking terrible about white people or talking terrible about black people. And she's black and white. And she's like, I'm just hearing these terrible things about both sides of my family. And that puts one in a really awkward situation in that moment of, okay, do I say, hey, that's me you're talking about? What if this is your boss, you know, at work or a coworker? Um, If it's a teacher or, you know, other students you're in a group project with, it just really put folks who were passed um, as a different race than they identified, both on the white side and, like I said, this woman who was passed as Latina, just really makes for some awkward um, interpersonal interactions for them. So then how would you say 
one should like confront these microaggressions as a mixed race person? say how anyone should uh, confront <laughs> yeah. it, but um, my interviewees told me a wide range of ways that they do. Some will just ignore it and go on with it. You're not paying, you know, you're not signing my paycheck or doing surgery on my child, so I'm just going to ignore this and, and move on. Um, that was more of the British uh, stiff upper lip sort of way. Um, a couple of Americans did tell me some really rude ways they confront it by just being blunt to people or posing questions back to them or flipping the script, you know, to, uh, to, to make a point, being sassy. But what that's really doing, um, I know they called it sassy and they would say, oh, I'm being rude when people, you know, say these things. But what they're really doing is flipping and refusing to engage in what sociologists called um, ling racial linguistic accommodation. This understanding that we should use colorblind language, we should not talk overtly you know, about race, we shouldn't challenge racist uh, comments when we hear it. Um, and these sassy comments that my interviews would say they would give in some of these hard situations are, are really challenging the hegemonic norms around race. And they're challenging uh, that it's okay to say those things when you think that you're in, you know, you're not in mixed company. And so they called it sassy, but it, it really was doing some deeper sociological work of that micro level challenging what people think of as race, challenging what they think is racially appropriate and making them uh, basically reevaluate um, what they say and who they say it to. So what are some of um, your guys' experiences being mixed race? Um, so for me, I got into um, the field of critical mixed race studies through um, trying to sort out my own childhood and experiences. I, I grew up in Minnesota and um, with a Nigerian father and a black American mother who is mixed race, not too far in her background. Um, and really, I mean, in school, I always was fed the narrative of, oh, you had slave ancestry and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't until like embarrassingly late where I realized that that's actually not completely true. Um, and, uh, I mean, cause my, my father's was directly from Nigeria, so he didn't have any slave, like he didn't have American slave ancestry. Um, and so on that side, it was, it was a false narrative. And, um, just my experiences of being black in America, a very white American area, um, was just very confusing. And so, um, when I started actually realizing that I needed to unpack a lot of things and a lot of assumptions and a lot of things have been put on me. Um, it really just came down to identity and, and what, what being situated in that position, how that in, influenced like who, like how, who I am and, and how I came to be myself. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so, so, so my folks, so I focus a lot on, on just kind of how identities work together and kind of in contrast and um and just just how how it challenges things or how how i seem to challenge things just by entering a room like kind of how i it, i end up being like wearing it on my body and um people asking me questions because they don't expect me to be um well living here they don't expect me to have an american accent when i open my mouth when i do and they see my name they don't expect i mean they just expect a lot of things that they don't get and um i guess that that in, in wanting to study that formally, I was kind of pushed into mixed race because a lot of the, the issues are similar. And, and at the time, mixed ethnicity, or there wasn't really a vocabulary for me around that. So I, I didn't know how to say that specifically. But in in, re in reading mixed race literature and, and looking at mixed race studies, I, I realized quickly that a lot of the same issues are at hand. 
Um, and then being in the UK where there is a lot of immigration status and um, eth- mixed ethnicities and mixed nationalities and stuff at play, um, I-, I felt very at home researching mixed race and exploring myself at the same time. Um, so, so that's kind of how I came into it and um, still trying to figure out myself, but it's, it's an interesting journey. And um, just being in the UK, I feel like there's a lot of, like I said earlier that it was kind of fixed um, and I am fixed generally as an American, even though I'm American Nigerian and now British. Um, but if I can use subversion to my advantage, then it, it becomes very interesting. And um, yeah, it's, it, life is always fascinating. So why has there been like a mix, uh, sorry, a rise in mixed race studies recently? Um, recently from when do you think? Uh, I'm not really sure, but it's just, I guess, cause, um, like I'm not a researcher or anything, so I may not be right about this at all, but, um, I have been noticing like a lot more articles or a lot more like, um, research on mixed race people in recent years or a lot more attention on mixed race than yeah, normal. Yeah. And it might just be in the U S cause you said the U S, um, well, no, it, they tend to just, yeah look at like the race of the parents but yeah i've definitely noticed like a lot more attention on mixed race people recently so why do you think that is okay yeah um so i'll jump in here i'm thinking that it's for for two reasons um one just on the material side after love versus virginia in the late 60s uh broke down the last interracial marriage uh, bans and broke that down at the federal level there was what demographers called a quote biracial baby boom just because there was an increase in interracial marriages because it has become legal at the same time um in the late 60s immigration restrictions were uh were, were eased and so more uh people from around the world were coming to the united states mixing and, and marrying and so as that was occurring throughout the 70s and the 80s, those folks are uh, you know, growing up and, and getting into college and noticing that their um, experiences are not reflected in the curriculum or watching TV and not seeing characters like them. And so as that kind of generation that right before the millennials and millennials are now getting into positions to be researchers and reporters and TV producers, that's one of the reasons just a sheer number of people um, has uh, has increased as we're also seeing a understanding of mixed race as an identity. Because if we go back to colonial times, back to, back to antebellum times, there were always people who would, we would now label as mixed race. But the strength of institutionalized one drop rules in the US and then colonial rules um, in, in the colonies of the UK meant you were gonna be identified one way, you were not gonna be able to have these, these two heritages. Um, together. So just that sheer number of people at the same time with this understanding of this is a unique identity kind of coming together in the late 90s in particular when the uh, this field called critical mixed race studies late 80s early 90s when it kind of started to form. Um, And so yeah people have just been coming to it and it's been growing over the past 30 years. Simultaneously kind of on the um, the not so happy positive side though um, White supremacy is just really uh, adaptive to, and will find new ways to, to, to maintain itself. And so one thing that um, we in critical mixed race studies do have to be aware of is how white supremacy will then use mixed race identity to reinscribe the racial hierarchy. So rather than seeing mixed race um, 
rather than seeing mixed race as this utopia that's going to break down and love conquers all and there's going to be no more racism what's really happening is it's it's inscribing in the u.s and i would argue in in the uk more of kind of a tri-racial hierarchy like we might see in brazil where white is still on top but places in that middle of the white versus black or white versus indigenous are starting to be carved out and so therefore mixed race people can then um start to be used by white supremacy as kind of this wedge between groups like oh well look at what Halle Berry has done or look at Zendaya so we need to stop complaining about you know Hollywood so white Zendaya's here Mandela Steinberg is here I'm literally still naming you know mixed race uh mixed race women and so that can be it can be used to function to to help kind of maintain white supremacy to help it adapt to the to the 21st century um, and so I think that the rise in all these articles and think pieces and even our research and movies talking um, about mixed race, on the one hand, demographic shifts, ideological shifts, this is wonderful to start recognizing, but we do also need to be aware of the fact that white supremacy uh, can use it as well to drive that wedge mm-hmm. and to try to reinscribe um, a new high racial hierarchy that still has whites uh, on top, but is allowing some mixed race folks kind of in the middle there to be that, oh, kind of, that kind of wedge to, we're not being racist. Look here at um, Nikki Haley. It's like, yay, we're not anti-immigration. Look at her. And so it uh, really is those those kind of two competing, I think, social forces, the positive mm-hmm. and so happy. I yeah. think that's, um, I mean, that's definitely true for the UK as well. And I uh, just wanted to add, um, like while while Loving versus Virginia was happening in 1967, and all, all that came up to it in the UK, um, there was the there was after the World War there was the Windrush generation they call it where um, they needed labor here, and so they reached out to their colonies. Um, and previously, it was um, I think it was Australia and maybe a little bit of South Africa. White immigrants were able to come, and so they were deemed kind of uh, invisible minorities and assimilated quickly because of their whiteness. Um, but, uh, they reached out to, um, to Caribbean uh, colonies and then eventually African, former African colonies. Um, so, uh, and, sorry, and, and Asian colonies. So, um, so the, the visible mixture, uh, was more apparent and with larger numbers of, of minority minoritized people, you get mixed race um, people. So there's also simultaneous baby boom here, although um, it could probably be said that it started a little bit earlier um, just because it was right after the war, but overlapping time frame. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I never considered um, the white supremacist, um, like I never thought about that that part of it. But yeah, I've definitely gotten a lot of people will like, say to me like, oh, that's, like, the future or something, like, and I don't think, I, it may not be, like, they're, they're intentionally being it, but it could be subconscious, I don't like to assume the worst in people, but, yeah, I've definitely heard that argument a lot, which, usually, I tend to think that it's just, like, oh, like, that's kind of an ignorant view of it, because it's just, like, you can't, like, that's not gonna be, like, a solve-all for yeah, racism. It's not gonna erase the racism that's currently happening. Yeah, but... We haven't arrived. Particularly my mixed race white and Asian interviewees would mention just these completely ignorant things that people would say to them, but that just shows how mixed race can safely, you know, coexist with white supremacy. Like one uh, white Asian woman would get told, oh, you got the best of both worlds. Like you got, you know, the Mm -hmm. white and the smart Asian. And it's like, you're just just dripping in stereotypes and racism Mm -hmm. right now. (laughs) 
future complimenting me. And like so, your whiteness makes you more beautiful, or like that sort of thing. Oh yes, yeah. So your mixture is black and white, so therefore you're light skin with pretty hair, so you're pretty for a black girl, and it just all of these yeah. things just can show how mixedness and white supremacy can totally coexist. Yeah, I feel that because sometimes like um, I'm half um, Chinese, and so I feel like sometimes like people will say to me like things that are totally not okay and if they'll like compliment a feature I have it's usually like because I added white to it it's somehow better so it's like it's totally like I've had like white people come up to me and say like oh like you have like really big eyes like you don't have those Asian eyes which is like totally wrong to say like it's just pretty gross. Mm -hmm. But like, and they don't say it in a mean-spirited way. They're just like completely ignorant of the fact that they're being racist, which is like also like, I think it's just this internal bias that they don't like know that they had. But yeah, yeah. I totally see that. I was wondering, so what are some of like the advantages of being mixed race? And like, what are some of the disadvantages you face sort of? For me, I think... Uh, I kind of mentioned it earlier with the, I mean, um, going into a situation, being being critical about what's happening and kind of using the subversion that is read on me to the advantage of having a, a decent conversation or like challenging interactions that rely on, on negative biases. Um, is something that I personally would call an advantage. I mean, it's, it gets tiresome to kind of be a project all the time, but um, but when I'm up for it, uh, I think. I mean, I've gotten I've gotten into some very good conversations. I, I hope I'd like to think that I've helped change some views um, or at least challenge views that have been negative towards um, people of color. Um, so so there's that. But then I guess on the flip side, it sometimes gets tiring to be. It, yeah, to I guess be that under the microscope and to to have all these assumptions kind of be put on me and then it's up to me to challenge them if they're not correct. I don't know if that really applies to everybody, but um, just being in different groups where where there's uh, like monoethnicity, like this black American, whatever that means, or like black British or whatever, then it's like, okay, well, you kind of fit, but you're different. And um, it, it's it's just kind of, it's just an annoying thing because like nobody's all the same. I mean, it, but for mm -hmm. some reason it sticks out for me for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, I guess that that's kind of a plus and a minus. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's anything inherently positive or negative about being mixed race or seen as mixed race. Mm -hmm. um, I think, um, I mean, I think what more drives how people kind of fit in the world is is the racism and white supremacy that surrounds experiences um which can be burdensome for a lot of people but psychological research critical mixed race studies is actually interdisciplinary and so psychological mm -hmm. research has really looked um and kind of teased out by operationalizing by saying like okay what are we going to mean when we say positive experience versus negative experience and so they've operationalized those in a number of ways and some of their research has shown that one of the biggest challenges for mixed race folks is when they are misidentified that does actually cause psychological distress and like more psychological harm um that misidentification and that happens so often for mixed race uh people so their research psych research has really looked at that um, and some of the positives in quotation marks, um, and I'll tell you how they operationalized it, 
um, are that psych has found that people have what's called an own race bias. So let's say you're looking at uh, photos of different people. We literally, eye tracking research shows that people's eyes literally scan the photos differently when they're of your same race versus they're of a different race. And what research has found, I mean, with children as young as three months old, is that mixed race people don't exhibit that same race bias as quickly as people whose parents are the same race. So if you kind of operationalize that as a positive of, you know, being more open and um, not exhibiting bias as quickly as others, then that is one thing um, that that psych has found. Though to bring it back and kind of try to figure out how we're going to explain those empirical findings, psych has to come to us sociologists (laughs) and explain that with, well, they're being mixed race folks raised in two-parent households have multiple uh, races of parents, grandparents and cousins and people that they're seeing. Um, and so then when you do research with, say, um, black babies that are in an all-black environment versus in an interracial environment, you see the same thing. They don't develop that same race bias as quickly. And so the kind of benefit in quotation marks there of being mixed is this early exposure to lots of different cultures, which has been shown to start to have an impact on on, on how people see the world, uh, uh, more flexible and more fluid uh, than, um, than than some others, just kind of initially. Then obviously, family socialization as you get older is going to play a role too. Yeah, I was wondering, like, so why are you writing this book um, now, and like, what do you hope that people will get out of your book, or like, what's the response you hope your book will create? Well, why now is because we both recently finished our doctorate degrees mm-hmm. and. The- draws on both of our dissertations and so um after finishing a dissertation it's kind of customary particularly for a qualitative one like we both did to turn it into a book um and so that's the why now reason (laughs) um it's that point in our career where you turn your dissertation into a book so that's the why now reason what do we hope to get from it Hmm. you want to take that one first what do you hope readers will take from it um well i hope i I suppose i mean we're critical mixed race scholars. So the, the main hope, I guess, would be to help or to hope, hopefully encourage critical discussion about mixed race and, and further that in some way. So like that can be academic, like language for like contributing to the, the literature. Like it's, a, I mean, like that's what you do as an academic, but, but actually practically, um, there's just, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of conversation going on around race and mixed race, especially now. Um, and it's not always, it's not always informed or it's, it's, it's informed by, by implicit biases that might not be reflective of reality or like, it just, I mean, there's just a lot of like, and I mean, there's just a lot of opinions going around and a lot of false knowledge and, and true, true knowledge as well. But like, there's just a lot. Um, and so what, what I was hoping that the book would do is um, is be a resource that not just academics, but community people, lay people, anybody can pick it up and, and think, like we can pose questions that people can think about, about not just um, mixed race generally, but how mixed race looks in different places and just kind of start questioning our ideas about race um, as a way, hopefully, to dismantle it. I mean, just being a, a piece of the puzzle that helps dismantle race and ra- uh, notions of race and racism um, in the future. I, I just think it's, I mean, it's, it's such an important topic that is that influences every area of all of our lives. And, and so, yeah, so I guess I just want it to be a little piece of the, the dialogue about kind of looking past just, oh, you're black, white, whatever, and just looking under that 
asking questions about how we came to use those terms, what those terms even mean, like, what, I mean, what do we think about those terms, how are they functioning in society and structurally, like, just at all levels, and, and it was really brilliant that we were able to address the micro, middle, and um, macro levels in our in our book, um, and and so it's it's a really unique piece of work where we're looking at all aspects of society and how race works and mixed race works um, within them all. I 100% second that. The only piece that I would add is that the end of the book, we also have a research appendix. And so it is also my hope that specifically for researchers, um, we could give some instruction, some help, some insight on how to do qualitative work, how to do really critical and reflexive qualitative work um, as well. As of now in sociology, psychology, other uh, social sciences, qualitative research methods are not required. They are offered as an elective at some universities, but they're not required. Um, and so also because we were in the fire ourselves and figuring this out and emailing advisors and each other and others from overseas trying to figure out what do I do in these cases, we did want to kind of end the book um, specifically too with, hey, for folks going forward wanting to do this research, wanting to jump into this field, here's our experience, learn from it, go out there and, you know, let's get some, some great research done. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Your book is um, very readable. I'm not like a researcher or anything. Um, I don't know like much about the field either, but you know, I was able to read the book because it's just so readable. And I also love how you did the interview formatting. So I'm kind of wondering like, how did you decide like how you were going to format the book? Like how did you decide you were gonna focus on interviews or, oh, I'm going to like devote a whole chapter to talk about like the history of like the census or things like that? I think, it, I mean, it just kind of made sense. We just kind of merged our dissertations. Like we, yeah. we both of our dissertations in a doc, in a document. And we're like, okay, so like this chapter of yours, I mean, we really, we did them separately. We, we knew each other from, from conferences and from, you know, from sociology, but we did them separately. But when we put them side by side, they really zippered quite yeah. nicely. And so that's um, how that came about. And then I also, at that point, had just started a new research project on LGBTQ mixed race folks. Mm -hmm. And so that's where that chapter came in from as well. That was kind mm -hmm. of the early... Uh, early findings from that chapter. Thank you um, for all of your time to talk with us and, you know, just um, shining some of your great expert advice and then also writing this book where, you know, I haven't found a lot of mixed race literature. So being able to find your book, especially like expert mixed race literature, but that I could still understand. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so. Well, thank you so much for reading so it. Fun. And it's been yeah, wonderful. Thank you.